0: First reading today is from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus replied, You must love your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. The second reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. God added daily to the community those who were being saved. And the third reading is from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. And finally, from Matthew, uh, chapter 25 verses 34 through 40. Then the ruler will say to those on his right, come you who will receive good things from my God, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him. Holy one, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or imprisoned and visit you? Then the ruler will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these siblings of mine, you have done it for me. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Amen and amen. We love technology, right? We just—it is—it uh, is lovely and wonderful. And uh, those of you that are here or online, um, I always think about when uh, I don't get things right when I'm leading something online, or I forget to unmute myself. That um, I think the better and the more used to things we get to, the more apt to forget to do all the things that we. I've uh, always we were so uh, uh, diligent about before. So um, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Uh, and so we will continue to be flexible and graceful with one another. So, uh, as we uh, begin our sermon today, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. God, we thank you for uh, this time and the space and for an opportunity to gather in the midst of um, an isolating time for so many whether it is uh, remotely or in person, whether it is on the streets, whether it is at a cafe or as a phone call, whatever it is, God, we ask that your spirit would be in our interaction and our continued connection as community. Be with us this day, let that spirit be in the hearts of all of us, not just during this time and not just from my words, but as we move into conversations about our future. We thank you for this gift and for the spirit present today. We pray all this in the name of Christ and God's people say, amen. So I begin uh, every Sunday during these four pillar uh, um, sermons with really to remind ourselves that uh, we're we're doing pretty well. Um, Again, this is not to give us a big head. This is not for us to be able to to say, gosh, we're doing so much better than them over there. But um, I do think that there are many, many congregations and communities that are struggling in a lot of ways, that have not offered grace to one another, have not received it, um, and are really kind of finding the edges of what it means to be a community for them. So I wanna, I I say this because um, I expect and hope that this community uh, both acknowledges how hard it's been, but also that there is capacity, no matter what happens in the future here, that um, this congregation is gonna be okay that um, we are thinking about some whole new things and we are um, asking people to have conversations about possible changes and shifts and no matter where folks land no matter uh, what we decide at the end of this that we're going to be okay this church is going to be just fine Um, and that i hope you continue to approach everything that we're doing conversations you have uh, just knowing that we're all doing our best that we are all striving to be as faithful as we can And so if you start to feel any kind of despair or if you start to feel like, oh, we're having conflict or we're pushing on things or we we don't know what's happening, um, let me tell you as one who kind of gets to hold on to the big picture of this community, um, we're doing all right. So I'm gonna remind you of that each of these four Sundays. Um, Just if you haven't been with us the last couple of Sundays, um, we are going through a possible new mission statement and vision and um, I'm laying out four pillars. You really need to listen to the sermon on the ninth, uh, so you can get a sense of the timeline, how we got here, what's going on, um, and watch those messages the ninth, last week's as well, um, and this is the possible mission statement if you are, again, visiting with us or you haven't seen it. I, I want you to see it over and over again. Even if we change words in the midst of this process, Uh, One of the things that's really important is if you are part of this community in a year after a new mission statement is adopted, I would like to be able to say to folks, okay, what's our mission statement? And folks would actually be able to say... Oh, you know, I think it has these phrases. You don't got to memorize it, but that it will feel familiar uh, because it will inform all the things we do. So there it is. You can continue to read that over and over again. If you are in a small group, you've seen the page and you've seen a little bit more of uh, what's going on with it. Um, so uh, you know, I, I wanted. You heard three short passages as part of this those are the kind of the focus texts of the mission statement itself uh, to who do we love? We, we, you know, we love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we love God that that's a crucial part um, that we are talking about impact and growth to we want to impact and we want to grow. And so the acts passage about people gathering and growing and then to do justice and uh, a commitment to us uh, to in this community, to do justice. And then each of these pillars have a little bit of um, uh, breadth to them. So the reason these are put in the order they are put in, uh, it, is, it is given to our order of worship. So we begin, we're, gra- we're drawn together by God, that we're gathered together, uh, that we are part of a community that you wouldn't actually gather in many other places uh, like this with people from across different experiences, uh, and that is one of the things that church does. Uh, our first pillar was disrupting injustice, that idea that we are called to make the world a better place. We're confessing of the brokenness in our world and in ourselves, and we uh, actively, uh, activistly address uh, pain in the world. So this isn't just a passive kind of, gosh, things are terrible. We wish they were better. This is like we're challenging ourselves to step into those spaces in ways that um, maybe we used to do or we wanted to do, and to really kind of step into that space. Last week, I talked about seeking wisdom, uh, making sure that we're informed by the spirit, that we are um, listening to the word, that we are moving in through the world in ways that are humble and learned and thoughtful, so that we don't buy into kind of colonial understandings of like we know exactly what needs to happen and so uh, we're not going to listen to anybody else we know we don't want to move into that world so we want to make sure that the work that we do and how we step into that space is done with wisdom today i'm going to talk about practicing empathy uh what it means to us respond to pain in the world not not talking about justice pain but just pain uh where people are in the world Um, about building the beloved community inwardly and outwardly uh, and about uh, compassion um, and then supporting how we build friendships here in the rhythms and stages of life. And then next week, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the expressing the beauty of the divine, which is about our sending being sent into the world and boldly sharing the message that we have come to know here Uh, This is, uh, I'll just be waiting, this is the evangelism um, sermon. It's like this is going to be my challenge to us to uh, not fall into these traps of holding on and and hoarding faith and experience, but saying to the world this is a uh, a version of the gospel that we believe is important for the world to hear and do in a way that makes sense for us. Next week, I'm also, I've been crafting the sermon a little bit. I'm going to tell you a little bit about why, um, I'll give you the, here's why it won't work um, portion of that, because I think this is a really difficult one for us to begin to think about growth and to think about whether this congregation sees itself potentially as a growing church and, and why not seeing ourselves that way is okay. Um, but uh, we'll be very quick next week about um, what stumbling blocks we may face if we choose to go down this road. But today um, is practicing empathy. I'm going to stop sharing now, so uh, I'm just going to talk with you a little bit. So um, today, practicing empathy is, um, again, um, part of what we're going to do is this third pillar and how we go about um, simply um, living out in the world um, together. So let me talk a little bit about the, the the. um, what should we call it? the The sermon or the the passage itself, um, um and about why we're getting into these particular areas. Th- this next couple of passages, I think, are going to be um, about making some choices. So this last passage you heard uh, was right after um, we're told about the parable of the sheep and the goats, and and God's going to choose one or the other. And I think that that um, begins to kind of again. We're, I'm not. We're not going to put labels on people and say, you're a sheep, you're a goat. Um, But there is a time where we begin to have to challenge ourselves to decide where we stand, where we, in the face of struggle in the world, Matthew 25 calls us to clothe those who are naked, to feed those who are hungry, to free the prisoners, to heal the sick, that I think our danger is that we become to think about these as metaphorical kind of symbolic things that we do in the world, when I actually think that these are one of those moments from Matthew 25, that we are being challenged by Jesus to actually do these things. That these are not simply symbolic or metaphorical challenges in scripture, but we are being told and said, you need to go out and actually do this stuff. The passage, again, follows this this very clear judgment piece, right? That that what we're trying to do is to decide where we stand in the world. And part of our struggle as Christians in the United States in particular is how do we decide how we move through the world? And when we see suffering, what are we going to do? We will fail, and we will not do it enough, and there will always be this kind of, I think, guilt or shame about not being able to solve all the problems. But that's not a reason that we don't step into those spaces and actually do some healing in the world. You've done this before, right? This is not a church where this is a foreign concept, right? We have done things. You, as I have heard stories about what you have done, we we do that, right? We also, you know, currently have a few things that continue to happen here, right? Um, you know, hotel to zinc. We tr- we we do continually. This week, Heart and Home is in a shelter for women, uh, and and so there are things that we do but I think that in some ways those have become programmatic. Those have become um, easy lifts in many ways, right? These become like, yeah, they're great, but yeah, we, those aren't like, we're not pushing ourselves to follow this even more and more. So, you know, I'm I'm curious though, I I would be curious that um, if you want to share in the chat, those of you that are on Zoom, if you can remember though, how this community has in the past, Fed the hungry, clothed the sick, freed the prisoner. I know there are things that this church has done. So I would love to see if you remember, if you're a, um, if you think back decades or years, and um, those of you that've been a while, what are the things you've done, uh, we've done in this church to 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 do these things out of Matthew 25? Because now I think we're beginning to think about what else we need to do. I'm going to be very clear. These next two Sundays. I'm gonna talk a little bit about things that I hope will challenge us a little more than the first two Sundays. The first two Sundays, um, we're not outside really of who we are, where we've been. We can argue scale and we can argue specific program. We can even argue around you know, how much we're gonna spend and all those kinds, but justice, wisdom, those are in our wheelhouse here. Those, as I've come to know you, those were not like, oh my gosh, we're gonna do justice here. Oh, my gosh, we want to study together here? Like, those are not big lifts. Today and next Sunday, I hope, are a little bit more challenging for us, and we'll give you more things to talk about when you meet in your small groups. Because these two Sundays, if we choose, if you choose, to have a posture of growth, a posture that says we want to see different new people in this community. We actually want to have more than just one or two visitors a Sunday. We actually want to see the the the, the next generation of participants, not just age, but of participants moving through so that those of us that have been here for a while that we actually see our influence beginning to shift. If we choose that, these two Sundays are critical for us to begin to build a culture shift into one of growth. I want to be very clear. This church does not have to choose growth. And I've said this in other places. It is not terrible. It's not a bad thing to be a small church. It is sexier to talk about growth. It is more exciting if we could say we're a growing church. It is all of those things but it is hard work and it requires us to really address, one, reasons why we haven't grown, and two, ways in which we might build and fortify growth in the future. So I hope today that as you go in your small groups later on this week, that there will be some things to talk about, uh, that um, I will have touched on some things as well as offered some possibilities. And remember, these are all about possibilities we say about practicing empathy, this idea that we actually go out and we do the things that are are important to who Christ is calling us to do, right? This isn't, let's think about the things that we need to do. This isn't about, let's, oh, I wonder how we can show some compassion. Like, this is actually going out and doing stuff and meeting people in their pain and in the struggle and actually stepping into spaces that are probably a little uncomfortable for us. They're a little new. And so, But part of this is, I think, um, uh, that it is a way to show the world and those who are seeking community that um, we are actually taking seriously this call. Because I think too many churches out there would say, um, yeah, these are kind of, yeah, we're going to, these are metaphorical. Or people would see us as we have these passages in Scripture, but yet we're not doing those things to any significant portion, and we know that in terms of growth, and for young people specifically, that social justice, direct service, those are things that folks are yearning for. People aren't yearning to come and join an institution. They aren't yearning to come in and figure out how things work. I think there is a connection point to those who are seeking to actually serve face-to-face directly, and not just things that um, are good in the world, but I I actually think that that our combination of our, uh, our, our focus on justice, that those who are seeking that combination, we could do amazing things here. This is, I'm gonna offer you a few things today that aren't like the last two Sundays, they're not inward and outward, but I do wanna offer you three things and ways possibly. Now please remember every Sunday I say possible because these are not guaranteed. These are not written in stone. If we pass and and decide that practicing empathy is a pillar, it doesn't mean that all these things are going to happen. But part of why you've called me into this role is to help us think about what are the possibilities. So I want to offer you um, a few of them it's important as we think about this practicing empathy thing about where we're focusing. Um, one is about cultivating meaningful friendships um, through small groups. I think this is one of those things that we want to try to do. We want to respond to the spiritual and emotional and physical care of those around us and support healing work in other communities. So let me share about how we might do this. The first is this small groups. Now, I think most people are like, well, that's not very bold. Small groups, like, wow, that's really exciting and new, Bruce. Except here, we don't really have small groups. We have groups that meet on occasion. We have groups that are small. We have groups that um, have met in the past But a true small group program or a small group culture is one that nurtures people through life stage and stays together and is not about a particular, it's not episodic. It is not something that can go away because there's no support. Small groups in a church is something that builds friendships. Now, you've done that here. I don't know how many times that I hear about groups that are continuing to meet that started out of some small group, episodic small group, that happened in this congregation. There were, and I can't remember the names of them, what are the spiritual groups, Julie, what are the, the name of the group that uh, some of you meet together because you've met together before? I don't remember what they're called. Anyway, somebody will remember. Put it in the chat. Um, you have covenant group, right? Some of you were involved in covenant group because that was a life stage and you continue to meet together. Um, but I will say that If this church is going to grow, if we choose growth, we have to support small groups in a way that you probably have never done before. One of the reasons that larger churches grow is because within their culture, in their life, they actually have groups where they get to know each other really well. The danger for small churches is this. We believe because we are small, we all know each other really well. But that is not true over and over again. I come out of a small church, so I feel like I can critique small churches. My own home church, right? I think we know each other well only because there are other things that happen outside of Sunday where we've gotten to know each other. But really, we don't even know each other all that well. It's built on this assumption that if there are 50 or 60 or 80 people gathered in the sanctuary, somehow on Sunday you get to know each other. But we know that's not true. If there's any a group that meets in this congregation, I could probably say, share with us something that nobody in this congregation knows about you, and you will learn things about one another, even after decades of being part of this church. Larger congregations commit to small groups in finances, in staff, in structure, so that when somebody is coming in looking for a community to connect with that is life stage based, Whether it's young adult lifehood, whether it's uh, early relationship, whether it's parenting or singleness, whatever it is, looking for life stage friendships, that's how we build connection and grow. But what happens in most small churches, are those are episodic, they're seasonal. And so I would challenge us if we're going to grow, if we're going to build a community that is able to sustain growth, small groups have to be part of that process. So, while that may not seem all that bold, it will require us to rethink how we go about gathering together and how we source and resource that kind of community. All right, so that's the first one. The second one is this I actually think that we have potential, possibly, to re engage campus ministry and college age people in our community. I've been here for two and a half years and have begun to develop relationships. And friendships and kind of with young adults in Palo Alto, who may not fit that college age bound experience, as well as beginning to have conversations about what does campus ministry look like in this time and age. Again, this is not particularly, it doesn't feel particularly bold. It doesn't feel like it is It is uh, something brand new. But it is meaning that we have to begin to think about, is this a life stage and a place where people are hurting and need to be met, fed, seen their their healing, all of that? Is this the place where we can do that? I actually think and what we're seeing around just here, there are multiple communities that are beginning to uh, start ministries in Palo Alto, particularly address the campus ministry. What we're seeing around the country are things like in the Presbyterian Church, a thing called uh kirk which are booming in other communities. Part of what I think we need to think about if we want to attract and nurture young adults, not just for our church, but to make an impact in the world, and if they connect here because of our new hybrid experience, uh, how we can stay connected even when folks leave, that we have to rethink what it means to do campus ministry today. Yes, I know this community has had a large and and storied commitment to UCCM, United Campus Ministries at Stanford. And I think that that is a, Uh, A great partnership, but I would challenge us to begin to think about what it means for us this congregation to begin to reach out into the Stanford campus and college age communities around here, this does not feel like it's bold, but it would change the way that we do a lot of things in this community. It would change how we would fund it. It would change our staffing. It would change our gatherings. It would begin for us to think about what it means to have a different generation that moves into and we are attracting and we are nurturing and we are partnering with and we are working with and becoming with young adults in our midst. It means that we can't see young adults as merely a way that we survive but it means that we are finding ways to be in relationship with a particular life stage that is around us. So it's not a desperation move, it is a move to step into and directly connect with those who are struggling, who are searching, who are needing deeper friendships and connection. All right, so that's the second one. I have saved the third one and the best one for last. Possibilities. I'm going to read a definition for you right now, and I want you to tell me what this defines. So those of you on Zoom, I want you to—you already even know this because I shared this with some of you. But um, I want you to—I'm going to read a definition out of our Book of Order, which is our Constitution of the Presbyterian Church USA. Again, not super exciting, I realize, but this. The ministry of X, the ministry of this of these people, as set forth in Scripture is one of compassion, witness, and service— Sharing in the redeeming love of Jesus Christ for the poor, the hungry, the sick, the lost, the friendless, the oppressed. Those burdened by unjust policies or structure or anyone in distress. Persons of spiritual character, honest repute, exemplary lives, brotherly and sisterly love, sincere compassion, and sound judgment should be chosen for this ministry all right chat who are we talking about anybody in here the three of you that are here who what was that definition of any guesses any guess julie got a guess up in the balcony in the peanut gallery. any guesses okay those that's the definition of deacons in our book of order all right Redeeming love of Jesus Christ, sharing the redeeming with the hungry, the lost, the poor, the sick, the friendless, the oppressed, those burdened by unjust policies or structures or anyone in distress. That's the definition of our deacons in our denominational polity. But as you know, that is not how deacons usually operate, not just in this church but in churches across the board. Some do, but mostly not. Like if if you were to share share in the chat, chat, like what do you actually think deacons do? Like if you've been a deacon, like like, what are deacons deacons responsible for in this church or in other churches? churches? It's It's not the things that you just heard, heard, right? It's not generally to share the redeeming love to to the the hungry, the sick, the lost, the friendless, the oppressed, those burdened by unjust policies or structures or anyone in distress, Right, deacons, in some ways, have historically been relegated to coffee hours, to flowers. Now, these are not not important things in the church. But that's generally where that happened. And it goes back to misogynistic history in our denomination and others, that it used to be that there were two things. You were either, you were probably, you were a woman, and that's what you did as a deacon. And when our elders, when you could only be a male, like that's what happened. And then there was a time where we said deacons are actually our practice session members. So you, you serve on deacons for a little bit and then you earn your way to be elders. When actually it's a very different role. Like I see that role and I'm like, that's like that's an awesome thing to be. I want to be involved with the community that is about like addressing those who are oppressed, those who are under any kinds of structures, but we have relegated our deacons in many ways to just taking care of our own. We have relegated deacons in many ways. We have not allowed deacons to be as expansive as our constitution and our denomination says it should be. Now that is not just this church. My home church is the same way. The deacons were in charge of coffee hour. They were in charge of the receptions and everything. They were, you know, it was, it was the hospitality group. Again, not bad things. But gosh, when you listen to that definition of deacons, how much is left out of what we could be doing? I would say the most pointed contra- or the most pointed critique I have of how most churches deal with deacons is it's all about us. Deacons are about taking care of us. But that call that is in our book of order is clearly about us and people outside of who we are. Because everybody, anybody can be be impacted by structures that are unjust and pain and hunger and all those things. And so what we've done as the church is we have shackled our deacons into being caretakers, of ourselves. And the result of that is that when people see that happening, yes, there is something about uh, tending to our own spirits, but what we are showing is that really when it comes down to it, we care more about ourselves. Now, please don't hear this as a critique, only as a challenge for what we could be. I also want to acknowledge, in particular, deacons in this church, you know, I have talked a lot about in our session meetings and in others that I, I wish that some of the pain and trauma over the last five, 10 years, whatever you want to talk about, could have been dealt with a little bit more. And I have, I have committed to you all uh, over this next months and years, and we're discerning our life together to um, be unapologetic in, in naming some of these things, because if we don't name some of this and address some of it, um, it will continue to live on. And, and we will not be able to find a future together um, as a community of growth. We will continually be drawn back into our past. So I want to acknowledge that deacons, when I mentioned deacons here, it is one of those things that depending on how you were involved in deacon conversations here over the last years, there's um, confusion. There's some anger left. Um, deacons were gone out of this congregation. Um, I don't think everybody always knows what happened Um, there are some that haven't really even noticed there again there's all across the board. And we really haven't talked about it much we haven't kind of addressed it, it seems to be one of those things that we're like yeah this kind of happened, and that is not the way to deal with things, and so I want to acknowledge that we need to have those conversations. um, Because. The deacons, what I want us to think about is a possibility and the way deacons move into the future is going to address and press, particularly on some of those raw things. It's going to make us talk about some of the trauma about about who and how we care for one another, who gets cared for, how do we do that. I want us to think about deacons as partnering with other organizations and being the funnel through which our resources are shared with the community. And there is a lot of conflict about how money is distributed and shared out in the community. I want deacons to begin to think about this idea that it is the deacon's responsibility to think about how we serve the poor the struggling, the oppressed in the community, as opposed to social justice, which is about activism and getting into those things that um, would push us to step into more intense kinds of ways of being and, and fighting for justice in an activist kind of way. What I want deacons to be able to do, and I think a possibility, is to begin to think about their role as a healing space, as places that are doing work that maybe we can't do ourselves, and to be the place that actually determines where the money goes. That our mission giving, I want to acknowledge in this congregation, is another place of trauma. It's another place of misunderstanding. It's another place that I think in some ways, and I do not think this is too strong to say, the way we talk about how we partner with other organizations through our money has been weaponized and traumatizing for people. The way that we handle, the way we partner with other organizations through our money is something that has to be dealt with. So what I would say is a possible structure shift for this congregation is to bring back the deacons. That we address and we deconstruct and we rebuild out of some difficult times. But what I think we can do is if we redefine and rethink what deacons do and not fall back into old models about who funds what and who gives what and all of that. But we focus on the definition of deacons that we are about being with those who are hungry and those who are sick and those who are struggling. That if we can, can come to a common agreement that that's what we do, then we begin to free ourselves from all of the past things that, that are standing in our way. It's about trying to figure out how we serve those things personally. It's about direct action. It's about, I think we can build community for finding ways for people to be in spaces that are more healing. I want us to be in the jails. I want us to be out on the street with those working with our RV community. I want us to begin to think about what it means for us to be engaged with people who do not really look or live like us not in a condescending way, but in a way that takes seriously the the Matthew 25 passage. I want us to also begin to think about how we partner with organizations that can do work better than we can do ourselves. I want us to think about all the ways in which we can give and impact the world through the money and the resources that you and I have. So what this means is that we have to rethink how we understand support. We have to rethink how we understand money. We have to rethink how we understand tithing in a way that is about abundance and generosity. I will say very clearly, when I talk with people about giving money away from this congregation, and we talk about tithing, there are a few things that come to people's mind. We're going to fight because that is what you have known. We're going to over-control and we're going to over- we're going to micromanage because that is what you have known. But we can't give it all away because what will we have to survive? Well, that's the conversation because we have a mindset of scarcity, even in the face of the last few years and the last couple years of generosity that has been shown to us by you. It means we rethink the whole idea about what it means to be a community that is not just about survival, that we're not just wrapped up in past political or pastoral struggles, that we are a community that has resources and wants to make an impact, and when we do that, it gets returned. That it is not just about do we have enough for ourselves, but we have so much for others. It becomes about practicing, habitualizing, and expecting generosity and abundance for our future. And I will say that is a struggle here. The idea that we still lean into scarcity. We lean into what I would say sometimes feels like hoarding. That we lean into these things where if I were to ask you about some of the things we do, it'd be like, "Well, we're doing this so we survive." This church, as I started in the beginning, is in not is in no danger of closing your doors and not surviving. But yet, for some reason, that is often what happens. The possibility of bringing deacons back can challenge us to rethink how we give money, how we support organizations. We, we take it out and we deconstruct a lot of what's going. We release this idea that one group gets to decide all of that, that idea. We release the idea that we get to, um, we're going to always think about kind of scarcity. We release this idea that if we are too generous, somehow that is bad. And we begin to actually live out that Matthew 25 passage. I do want to say, this does not mean we're not going to tend to ourselves. Care and compassion and all of that. But I will say that we have to rethink about how we do care for ourselves because we are going to run into capacity issues if we grow. We can no longer care for this community in the same way that we always have. We are praying more together. We are growing older together. There are more things going on, and there will be more and more as we grow. And so reframing and rethinking about deacons is a way for us to almost reboot how we go about serving one another and serving those who are outside this community. So I leave you those three things. The first two do not seem very sexy. They do not seem like they're bold, but I do believe that they are. Committing to small groups. Thinking about how we build friendships, how we build community where people can deeply get to know one another in ways that allow them to share all of the struggles and pains and joys that they have. To really think about the particularities of young adults, college age and campus ministry in ways that might be new and to ways that we can support that and to rethink what it means for us to bring deacons back. And to give us a chance at rebooting and rethinking about how we go about funding the world, serving the world, being in the world as Matthew 25 calls us to be. I hope there are some things that you will disagree with. I hope there are some things that will inspire you for some thinking. I hope that in some ways I've touched on a nerve or two. Because I do know that there are a lot of things that we still have to address. In your small groups this week, I encourage you to share as vulnerably as you can, because that is the only way we're going to move into whatever is next. It's the only way that we are going to be able to model for the world to say we can actually move through conflict in a way that doesn't tear us down, but we move it through in a way that ends up building us up. That's my hope for you, it's my hope for me, it's my hope for all of us as we move together. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this time and for um, all that we do in this space. We ask, oh God, that you would continue to move us and challenge us and continue to open us up to your possibilities. We ask, oh God, that you would um, let us feel all that we feel, that those things from our past, that may cause us pain or anguish or anxiety, that we would um, claim them and offer them to you. For we are a community that does extend grace to one another. Let us challenge ourselves to continue to do that. We pray all this in the name of Christ and all God's people say, Amen.